Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Hey guys, again, welcome to Redemption Church. My name is Byron, and I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor and church planner. We just want to say welcome. We are so glad to be able to have you. Church may look a little bit different, but it's not canceled. We're just having church at your house, so welcome to House Church. Before we get started, let me go ahead and just get something off my chest. I really like interaction whenever I preach, okay? Most of you who come to redemption, you know, if you amen me, I preach better. But I can't hear you amen me, so if you could do me a big favor, if in the comment section you can type in all caps, then I will be able to hear you. So just getting that out of the way. Hey, today we're gonna continue a study in the book of Philippians. If you're new to redemption, there's something that you need to know about us is that we love the Bible, we believe the Bible, we preach the Bible, and our faith favorite way of preaching the Bible is what is called expositional preaching. Don't Google it because you'll lose this feed, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what that means. What that means is we just preach the Bible, that we start in verse one, chapter one of a book, and then we just preach all the way until we reach the very end of the book. We go line by line until we get everything out of it that we can. And today we're continuing a study in the book of Philippians that we call finding joy, even when you don't feel like it. Because guess what? There's probably not a lot of joy going on in the world around us. I mean, joy probably isn't the word that you would choose to describe how people are feeling. Have you turned on the news lately? Not a whole lot of joy over there. Have you flipped through TV? Not a lot of joy. Have you scrolled through Facebook, Instagram? Have you went through your social media besides all the memes that everybody's sharing? uh, There's really not a lot of joy. Have you checked your bank account? Everybody's overdrafted on joy. Don't check the stocks. Don't check your financial portfolio portfolio and please do me a favor, right? Just turn off the TV and stop bothering with the presidential election cycle. There's not a lot of joy going on there. You can pray for them because they need some joy and they should might listen to this sermon series because they could probably use a little bit of joy too. When it comes to the world that we're in right now, there's a lot of other words that I could choose to describe how I feel. Joy would not be one of them. And if I were to say them publicly, I'm a pastor, I'd probably have to fire myself. So, Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about joy. And here is the subject for today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And the sermon title for today is this, finding joy, because if you don't feel it, you need to find it, finding joy even when you are, you ready, suffering. To everybody's favorite subject, suffering. How many of you woke up this morning and you're like, I pray that the pastor preaches a sermon over suffering. I love that sermon. 
probably not anybody, and if you did, you're weird, okay? And we'll pray for you later. But this may not be the sermon that you wanted, but God knew that this is the sermon that you needed. This may not be the sermon that you wanted to hear, but God knew that this is the sermon that you needed to hear because he knows you don't feel it, so he wants you to be able to find it. And today we're gonna be talking about finding joy even when you are suffering. So before you click off the screen and get up and go make some coffee and forget to come back, let me tell you a funny story to capture your attention. I was thinking this week, I was like, who can teach me about suffering? Who do I know who has suffered? And the first person that came to my mind was my wife, Ashley. And no, it's not because she's married to me, right? I think I'm a pretty good husband, but there is some things that I could work on. And so now that we're thinking about it, the illustration actually might fit, but that's not the reason why. The reason why Ashley came to my mind is because she has given birth to two of the most beautiful, wonderful, amazing little girls, our daughters, Esther's son and Ruth Moon. And the reason she understands suffering is because she went through great amounts of pain and suffering to be able to give birth. Ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that it is possible that through suffering you can have great joy. That's called childbirth. Okay, ladies, God has given you a particular insight on the subject that we're going to be talking about today because you understand great pain also leads to great joy. Ladies, whenever you first got pregnant, you remember it was, it was really exciting, wasn't it? I mean, you were like, oh, it's so amazing. It's so exciting. We're going to have a gen- to reveal and pop some balloons. I just can't wait. I'm pregnant. And then everybody's like, congratulations, you're glowing. And then all of a sudden you go from glowing to throwing up. Right, you know what I'm talking about. That it goes from glowing to throwing up, right? Your feet get really swollen, you start gaining weight, but you got a good excuse, unlike your husband who is gaining weight without really trying. But you know what you know how, how it goes. Because then you start waddling when you walk. It looks like you're trying to play the limbo, but you just can't get your shoes on. You got heartburn, you got indigestion, you can't sleep, sleepless nights, mood swings, and for nine months, it's tremendous amount of suffering. The other day I went to CVS and there was a guy in front of me keeping our social distance and he was buying nursing pads. And if you don't know what nursing pads are, that's because you don't understand suffering. And he was standing there and he was buying nursing pads. And I said, brother, I have been there before. I have bought my fair share of nursing pads. And he said, oh yeah, we're so excited because we're about to have a baby. And I was like, dude, there is no we in this. She's about to have a baby. You're about to get yelled at because that's what happens. There is no we. She had a baby. And then you you just stood there freaked out and didn't really contribute much to that at all. But this is how it goes. Nine months of suffering only to begin the real suffering because all of a sudden it's time for you to give birth. They bring you to the hospital. You're practicing. You're breathing. Your water breaks. The doctor's like, would you like some drugs? And you're like, yes, please. Give me some drugs. Stick the epidural right here. The husband's like, I'll take some drugs. And the doctors are like, no, you can't have any drugs. Calm down. True story. When Esther was born, I actually asked, I was like, Hey, if we're just giving out drugs, I'll, I'll take some right here. I was kidding. I was kidding, but I really did do that. But you understand because you have that moment of great pain, of great suffering. But the moment that the doctor takes the baby and lays it on your chest, what do you feel? Great joy. Ladies, you understand that great suffering gives birth to great joy. My wife was pregnant or 
she was pregnant with my daughter Esther for nine months, but she was in labor with Esther for eight hours. There's one woman in my community group, she was in labor with her son for 26 hours. Whenever Ruth was born, Ashley was in labor for like 30 minutes, kid you not. I actually almost missed the birth of my daughter Ruth because I went downstairs to get a Red Bull. I was like, this is gonna take a while, so I'm gonna go get me an energy drink. And by the time I came up, the doctor's like, hey, it's go time, where you been? And then my daughter was born. She came out like a slip and slide. I mean, it was really fast, but we all understand this, that some people will go through great amounts of suffering for a long time. Some people will go through different amounts of suffering in a different duration of time, but you and me and everyone who ever lived, we will go through suffering. The question is not, will you suffer? The question is, when you suffer, how will you suffer? And Paul wants you to be able to go through suffering and experience great joy. This is a timely message for all of us today. This is an important message for all of us today because you and me and everyone in the world, we're all going through the exact same thing. We are suffering, but if at all possible, is there a way for us to have joy. According to the Bible, it is. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter one, starting in verse 12. And today, Paul, he's going to give us five secrets to suffering. The first secret Paul's going to give us is this, that when you're suffering, you need to understand that there is a purpose in the prison. There is a purpose in the prison. Here's what he says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that what has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, if you missed last week's message, let me go ahead and play a little bit of catch up. According to last week's message, what we noticed is this, is that who is writing this book of the Bible? His name is Paul. Now, Paul is a missionary traveling church planter who preaches and he teaches and writes about one third of the New Testament in the Bible. Paul is a very big deal. He is the author of this book. But then in addition, we've got to see who is he writing to? He's writing to the church at Philippi. This is a church that he helped plant 10 years earlier. It's a church that he knows and a church that he loves. Where is Paul writing from? Just give you a hint, it's not Hawaii. Okay, he's not on vacation. He's not on spring break at Schlitterbahn having a good time with his wife and kids. No, Paul, he is writing this book from prison. And what's the book about? The book is all about joy. Now, Paul is in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to eat or sleep. He doesn't know if he is going to live or die, where his next meal is coming from. He is living under 24-hour watch, chained to a Roman guard, sitting down, writing a book about joy. 19 times in the book of Philippians, he uses the word joy, rejoicing, thanksgiving, gladness, cheerfulness, happiness. It's a book all about joy. And guess what? He's in prison. And this is why it's so important for us is because Paul was in prison and we're in a pandemic. 
right? Paul, he was suffering, and you and me, we are suffering. But Paul had joy, so that means it is possible for even you to be able to have joy in the middle of your suffering. Now, before we go any further, there is something that I do need to say is that I personally do not believe that God is the source or the cause for our suffering. That God is not the cause for what we're going through right now. That God is not the cause for the coronavirus, right? You're going to see some people and they're going to begin posting that God caused this and he sent this as some form of judgment upon the nations. I don't believe that. I do believe that judgment is coming and that all of us, we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment, but I do not believe that this is the judgment that the Bible speaks of. I do not believe that God is some mad scientist up in heaven who is creating chemicals and viruses to unleash on the world. I even saw one guy that said, now God got everybody sick just so they would learn to pray to healing for him, right? Garbage. I do not believe that because God is not some vindictive heavenly father who is abusive and just beats his kids. That's not the God we love. That's not the God we serve. That is pagan and that is not the God of the Bible. I do not believe that God is the source for the suffering that we are experiencing nor the coronavirus. And so many people are like, well, what is the source? Sin. That whenever God originally designed the world, he made it good, upright, perfect, true, only love and harmony and health and perfect grace all the time in his presence. And then sin enters into the world and then everything became broken. When sin comes into the world, there is sickness. When sin comes into the world, there is death. When sin comes into the world, there is separation from God's original intent and design. See, the Bible says that Satan is a liar and that he is a thief and he comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. But in John 10, 10, it says that Jesus comes to give life and to give life abundantly. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul, he says that death is an enemy because Satan brings death, but God comes to bring life. Satan comes to bring sin, but God comes to be able to bring joy. Here's what I do know is that that God is not the cause of our suffering, but God, he sure will use our suffering. Do you know how I know that? Because of the life of Paul. That Paul, he is in prison, but at the same time, he has great joy. See, Paul here, he realizes that he can be in prison and at the same time, still live with a purpose. That in this life, you will live through dark days. In this life, you will live through difficult days. In this life, you will live through painful days. But that does not mean that you do not live with a purpose. Here's what the lesson is for us. Is that even in the prison, there is a purpose. As long as you do this, as long as you let God use your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Let God use your suffering. Paul, he realizes, I still have a purpose. What's his purpose? He says, to advance the gospel. That is the purpose according to Paul. He realizes, I'm in this prison, but I still have a purpose. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to just start telling people about Jesus. 
I'm just going to start witnessing and telling people about the Lord and telling people how great God is and telling everybody what God has done for me. It would have been really easy for Paul to waste his suffering. That's what a lot of us do. We waste our suffering because we start feeling down on ourselves. We're like, oh, my life is so hard. My life is so terrible. And we start throwing pity parties in prison and want everybody to come and feel sorry for me. Oh, woe is me. And when you do that, you waste your suffering. Paul says, I'm going to live with a purpose. I'm not going to waste this. I'm going to invest this. And then this is a shift in the perspective of a Christian that we think differently about the situations and the circumstances that are in. See, Paul, he wants to advance the gospel. What Paul understands is this, is that I may be in prison, but I'm not a prisoner. Just because you're in prison doesn't mean that you're a prisoner. Paul says, I'm not chained to this Roman guard. This Roman guard is chained to me. I'm not a captive. I got a captive audience. I'm going to start telling him about Jesus. I'm going to start speaking about Jesus. I'm going to start telling my story. I'm going to start telling my testimony. He ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. We're in this together. I'm just going to start preaching, and I'm just going to start telling him about Jesus. This is the perspective of a Christian, that even when you are in prison, you can still live with a purpose. Even when you're in a pandemic, you can still live with a purpose. Even when you're going through great amounts of suffering, you can still live according to a purpose. There is purpose in the prison. So let me ask you this. During this season, what are you going to do to not waste your suffering, but to use it? You've been saying you wanted to spend more time with your family. Now you got the time. Go spend some time with your family. Don't waste it, invest it. You've been wanting to work on your marriage? There you go. Go work on your marriage. Don't waste this opportunity, invest it. You've been wanting to make memories with your children? Don't waste this opportunity, invest this opportunity. What you've been talking about is reading that book or working on your spiritual disciplines, growing in your relationship with prayer. You've been talking about all of those things. Well, now is your opportunity to do those things. Don't waste this suffering. Let God use it. There is purpose in the prison. Which leads us to the second point. The second thing he wants us to know is this, that there is a ministry in the mess. Here's how Paul writes it. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others, they do so out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my purpose. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here, Paul, he actually begins talking about two different types of churches who respond to suffering differently. The first type of church he mentions is a church that preaches Christ, but they do so out of rivalry, envy, and selfish ambition. Just so you know, that's not the church that we want to be. We want to be the second church who does it out of love, affection, and good will. There are two different types of churches and two different ways that they are going to respond to suffering. Some out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition, some out of love and good will. Do you know what Paul is saying here? That some churches are a mess. Okay, just so you know, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Right now, a lot of people are saying, oh, we need to get back to the book of Acts. We need to go back to the book of Acts. They had everything perfect. No, they didn't. 
Like, have you actually read it? Acts chapter two, they're all filled with the spirit, breaking bread, sharing meals together. But by the time Acts chapter five and six come along, there's a really big mess in the early church. I mean, in Acts chapter six, there's a problem with racism in the church where they're ignoring the Hellenist Jews and they wouldn't let the grannies come to the potluck dinner, which is really crazy because everybody knows grannies make the best potluck meal. The early church, they had some problems. As long as there has been a church, there have been people people. And as long as there's been people, there's always been problems. And there is a mess when it comes to every ministry. But at the same time, there is always a ministry in the mess. During this moment, Paul is actually being criticized by many other teachers because of the suffering that he is experiencing. They're blaming Paul. They're pointing fingers at Paul. They're criticizing Paul. They're rebuking Paul. And you know what Paul says to all of this? Meh. Doesn't really bother me. I don't really care. He says, whether in pretense or in truth, as long as Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice. He had so much joy, he didn't let the haters get to him in the moment. He didn't even bother with it. Do you know why? Because he was too busy doing ministry. Don't bother with the mess. Instead, get busy doing the ministry. Listen, right now, as churches go online, as politicians, they stand up, and as everybody's writing blogs and The news cycle is going 24-7. Every single day of the week, there's going to be a constant barrage of information, and not all of it is good information. Some of it's bad information. Not all of it is the good news of Jesus. Some of it is bad news of personal opinion. And a lot of people, they're going to use this moment as an opportunity for them to begin pointing fingers at other people, to publicize it, to politicize it, and to be able to build their platform. What Paul says is this, don't bother with it. Don't bother with what they're doing. Don't worry about what they're doing. Instead, worry about what God is doing in your life and worry about things that you can actually have control over. He says, if it's not your problem, don't worry about it. If they're not your people, don't worry about it. Here's what I always say. Not my monkeys, not my zoo. You know what I'm talking about? Not my monkeys, not my zoo. Not my mess, not my ministry. A lot of times people ask me, they say, Byron, what do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about this church? Or what do you think about this politician? Or what do you think about this situation? Or what do you think about this artist? You know what I say? I don't really think about him very much. Okay, do you know why? It's not my problem. Right? Not my mess, not my ministry. Not my monkeys, not my zoo. Not my people, not my problem. Okay, I want to be in unity with the local churches around me. I want to bless and support the other ministries that are around me. But I don't have time to get caught up in things that I have no ability to influence. You know what I want to influence? My church. You know who I want to pray for? My church. Right? You know what I want to be concerned with? My church. Right? I'm praying for you. I'm believing for you. I'm having a hard enough time being able to keep up with you. I don't have time to keep up with everybody else and what they're doing. Listen, God does not need Facebook warriors. God needs prayer warriors in this moment. So stop bothering with the mess and get busy doing ministry. I don't want our church to be known for what we are against. I want our church to be known for what we are for. I don't want to be a pastor who is judging people. I want to be a preacher who is loving people. I want to be a part of a church that isn't hurting people or helping people. I don't want to be pointing fingers. I want to be pointing people to Jesus. That's what I want to be doing. If it's not your mess, it's not your ministry. 
I was reading an article by Ed Stetzer, and he's a, a great researcher. He's a leader in the church, and he says that the moment that we are living in right now is the biggest moment of our generation. Like, in the future, when people go back and read the history books, they're going to be reading about how we respond to this. That COVID-19 is actually bigger than 9-11, the war in Iraq, or the housing crisis of 2008. Put them all together, COVID-19 is bigger than that. And the way that we respond to this situation is going to directly impact the future of the church for many years and legacies to come. And how tragic would it be for us to be known for pointing fingers at other people instead of pointing people to Jesus? This is an opportunity for ministry for us. Let's not get caught up criticizing other people. Let's not get caught up comparing our church to other churches. You know why? Some preach out of rivalry and then other churches experience revival. We're not reading about the rivals. You know who we're reading about? Paul and the church of Philippi. Do you know why? Those churches didn't have joy. But the churches who have joy are the ones who are going to stay around for a long time. So we need to find our joy. This is an opportunity for us to do ministry. People are hurting. We need to love them. People are in need. We need to meet those needs. People are asking questions. Let's sit down. Let's have a conversation with them. People want to come to faith and know who Jesus is. Let's give them Jesus. And even more than that, in the midst of our suffering, let's give them joy. There is a mess in the ministry. Which leads to point number three. Paul's encouraging his church, and this is what he tells them. He wants them to know that there is strength in the struggle. He says this, yes, I will rejoice. He just keeps throwing parties in his heart. He's going to keep rejoicing. For I know that through your prayers and help and the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation, and I hope that this will not be put to shame, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ. This is one of those big Philippians memory verses somebody probably has it tattooed on them if you have this as a tattoo leave a comment we want to say awesome for me to live is Christ and to die is gain if I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which shall I choose I cannot tell I am hard pressed between the two my desire is to be with Christ for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you how many of you can feel Paul's pain right about now how many of you feel what Paul is feeling they ask Paul they say if you had a choice to die and go be with Jesus, or to stay and keep preaching about Jesus, which one would you choose? They ask Paul, would you rather live, or would you rather die? And Paul says, hmm, flip a coin, because I could go either way. Right? How many of you, you kind of feel that pain? He's like, I could either keep preaching about Jesus, or I could actually go and be with Jesus. Heaven sounds pretty awesome right now. Okay, he, he says, I am hard-pressed between the two. Do you know what that is? That's a struggle. Paul's in the middle of a struggle. How many of you would say, at this point in your life, the struggle is real? Because right about now, heaven sounds pretty awesome. I mean, when you think about heaven, 
it's going to be pretty cool. I mean, when we get to heaven, there is going to be joy and happiness and laughter. There will be no sickness. There will be no disease. Every tear will be wiped away. Every hurt will be healed. There will be no more coronavirus. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Compared to this, heaven sounds pretty awesome. You're like, God, if I have a choice, heaven sounds pretty good. I would like to go home. Can we just hit the eject button and we'll all go back right about now. For Paul, and for many of you, this is where you find yourself at, that the struggle is real. I mean, nobody is going to be sad in heaven. Like when we get to heaven, nobody's going to be like, man, you know what I really miss? The year 2020. Like 2020 was a great year. I'm really going to miss that. You know, I'm going to miss coronavirus. I'm going to miss waiting in line for hours outside of HEB. You know what I really miss? Those little blue squares at Walgreens that I have to stand six feet apart from everybody else. You know what? You know what I really miss? Rationing toilet paper. You know what I really miss? Paying taxes. Nobody's going to say that. You know what I really miss? I really miss the presidential debates of the year 2020. I mean, God, I just, I just miss that. No, it's like watching a train wreck. Nobody's going to miss that. Right? When we get to heaven, nobody's going to say, oh, you know what I really miss? Tiger King. I really miss Tiger King. I mean, I missed the seven hours of my life that I totally wasted watching a fake country music star from Oklahoma with a mullet, a redneck, a gay polygamist who kills baby tigers. I missed that documentary. Nobody's going to say that. Do you know why? Because heaven is awesome. When we get to heaven, there's going to be streets of gold. There's going to be seas of crystal. There's going to be gates with pearls. There's going to be mansions in heaven filled with toilet paper and hand sanitizer. It's going to be absolutely amazing. There's going to be no social distancing. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation hugging and high-fiving, sitting down at the wedding feast of the Lamb, eating bluebell. It is going to be a really big party. When you get to heaven, you're not going to miss any of this stuff. And Paul says, heaven sounds pretty good right about now. But Paul also realizes that he's not done. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But for me, being with Christ is far better, but I would rather stay so that way I can be able to come to you. See, Paul, he's in the middle of a struggle, but he also realizes that even when he is struggling, there is still strength. There is strength for your struggle. Let me go ahead and give you a sermon illustration. So I really enjoy running. I, I like running. I typically run about you know, three or four miles every week. And every morning I get up and I would go for a run. And I'm just being honest with you. Church is a place, a safe place. It's a place of confession. Just being honest, since all of this happened, I have not exercised, worked out, or ran. Okay, I've lost all motivation. I've lost all of my will to be able to do it. I felt very tired. I would stay up late. I would sleep late. And I would be late to work. I mean, I just had no ambition or drive. And that went on for several weeks. And the other day I was just like, you know what? I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it. Do you know why? Because what I've discovered in my life is when I don't feel it, that's when I need it the most. 
And so one morning, I was like, I'm just going to do it. So I put my shoes by the side of the bed, and then I hit my alarm. First thing I did when I woke up, put my shoes on, went outside, took off for the run. I had to make myself go do it because I didn't actually feel like doing it. And as I'm running, I get to the halfway point, and there's a, a stop sign on my run where I could either turn left and take the shortcut and head back home, or I could turn right, and I could finish out my normal lap. And as I'm getting up to that stop sign, I know. I'm like, I'm turning left. I don't want to do it. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I can't keep going. I'm done. And I'm wheezing and my side's cramping. And I'm like, I'm turning left. I'm turning left. And as soon as I got to the stop sign, boom, I turned right. Do you know why? Because I engaged my will. And as I engaged my will, I turned right and I was able to run and I was able to finish my run. And at the very last leg of the run, you know what I did? I sprinted. And here's the reason why. It's because research has shown that the way you finish one run is the way that you start the next run. Because basically, how you finish as you keep running, you actually become stronger. And in the middle of the struggle, you find strength. That's exactly what Paul is saying right here, that there is strength in the struggle. That's why in verse 19, he says this, I will rejoice. Okay, he says, he didn't say, I feel like rejoicing. He says, no, 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 I will rejoice. You have to engage your will when it comes to rejoicing. That sometimes you don't feel like it, that's when you need to begin to will it. He says, I'm going to do this. I have made a decision in my heart, in my life, that I will rejoice. Some people, they're like, I don't feel like rejoicing. So what? Just rejoice anyway. Right now, I feel very sweaty, but after this, I'm going to go cool off. I have a control over the way that I feel. Okay, some of you, you're like, but I feel hungry. Okay, then what do you do? You go get something to eat. If you don't feel joyful, then you need to do something about it. You need to get a little bit of joy. What you need to understand, and Paul saying this, is that your joy is your choice. That you have a choice when it comes to rejoicing. You can either not rejoice and you can be bitter and blue or you can rejoice and you can celebrate everything that God has been doing in your life. He says, I will rejoice. And in that, he finds strength for his struggle. Listen, your joy is your choice. Some of you, you're like, but I'm tired. That's okay. Be joyful and tired at the same time. You say, but I'm exhausted. That's okay. Be joyful and exhausted at the same time. You say, but I'm suffering. That's okay. You can suffer and you can be joyful at exactly the same time because joy doesn't come from out there. Joy comes from up here and joy is what God is doing in here. And when in here begins to radiate and flow out there, that's when you choose joy. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is supernatural. And if you don't feel it, spend some time with the Holy Spirit because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you don't feel it, get along with the Spirit and then He'll give it to you anyway. Choose joy. Your joy is your choice. I mean, this is the whole reason that, that the Bible says in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because there is strength for the struggle and it's found in joy. And so Paul here, he actually makes a decision that he is going to have joy. He's going to find strength. And I want to give you four ways that Paul finds strength for his struggle. Four pieces of joy that Paul has. The first thing for Paul's strength is this. He knows that his church is praying for him. If you look at the verse at 19, it says, because of your prayers. I find that so interesting. 
that he says, because of your prayers. See, it would be one thing for Paul to pray for himself. I mean, he is the Apostle Paul. Have you ever read the Bible? He wrote that. Okay, you think his prayers go directly to heaven. And they do, and yours do too. But Paul doesn't get his strength from his prayers. He says, I get my strength because I know that my church is praying for me. I want you to know that your church is praying for you. Right? If you're watching this right now, we've been praying for you all week. That your church has been and will continue to pray for you. Last week, we had our deacons up at the church calling everyone on the phone, not texting or emailing, calling them just to be able to pray for them. If you didn't get a phone call, it's because, well, one, you didn't answer your phone because you don't know who is calling you. And if you don't have the number saved, then you don't answer the phone. But number two, we probably don't have your contact information. So click on the connect page to where go ahead, update your contact information because next week we will call you. But we want you to know that we're praying for you. For you. In fact, um, our, our kids team got together and wrote almost 100 we miss you cards to all of the kids in our church. We've been giving to people in our church who have lost their jobs, helping people pay their rent, pay their bills. Our intercessory prayer teams have been praying for each and every one of you every single day by name. I've been praying for you. Our team's been praying for you. Your church is praying for you. You can have strength from your struggle to know that your church is praying for you. The second place he finds his strength is this, that the spirit is present with him. Even in the middle of his pain, the spirit is still present. Even in the middle of your pain, the spirit is still present. In John chapter 16, Jesus, he gives one of the clearest teachings over the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And in John 16, he says that he will send another one. And the word that's used there is called the paraclete. And that means the, the, the helper, literally the spirit of Christ will help you. It is the helper, it is the advocate, it is the comforter that when you are experiencing great pain, that's when you actually begin to experience the presence of God in amazing and great ways. That God is present with you even in your pain. And then the third point he gives is this, is that Christ has given a promise to him. That Christ has given a promise to him. This is why he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. That if I'm going to be alive, Jesus is going to be with me. And when I die, I'm going to go and be with Jesus. And so there really is no losing for me because this life is as close to hell as I will ever get. And despite the suffering that experience, one day I'm going to go and be with him. That God will never leave me, never forsake me, never give up on me, never abandon me. He is always going to be right there with me. The last words of Jesus in the Great Commission, he says that I will be with you always until the very end of the age. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That God has a promise for him. And then the last part that he says is this. He draws his strength because he knows that God also has a plan for him. See, Paul understands that being in heaven would be far greater, but he has work yet to be done. That there's more people to love. There's more people to serve. There's more churches to be planted. There's more ties to be given. There's more people to be baptized. There's more people to be reached. There's more work to be done. And Paul knows if I'm not dead, then God's not done. And as long as there is breath in my lungs, there are people for me to love and to spread joy. Paul finds strength in the middle of a struggle, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. There is strength for the struggle, which leads to the next point, 
that Paul wants you to be able to understand is that there is character in the conflict. Y'all still with me? All right, good. There is character in the conflict. Here's what he says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to you or whether I'm absent from you, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not to be frightened. See, Satan wants you to be frightened. Satan wants you to walk in fear, but he says striving side by side for faith. God works through faith, not fear. Not to be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that is clear from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer from his sake, engaging in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now that I still have. There's a word right there. The word right there is suffering, finding joy even when you are suffering. What Paul's encouraging with this is, is this, is that there is character that is being built up and developed in the midst of your conflicts. Have you ever noticed that two people can go through the same experience and they can respond in totally different ways? Have you ever noticed that two people can graduate from the same school, get the same degree, they could be raised in the same home, they could be a product of the exact same environment, but at the end of the day, they're completely different. Do you know why? Because of their character. That as they go through those things, some people, they choose to get bitter, and then other people, they choose to get better. Listen, you can either get bitter because of suffering, or you can get better because of suffering, but you can't have both. You can get bitter, or you can get better, but you can't have both. Paul here is talking about how conflict develops your character. You can get bitter, you can get better. Listen, I love you. I want to serve you. I'm your pastor. I want to help you, but I'm going to say something right now, and it might hurt just a little bit, but kind of like ripping a Band-Aid off, I promise it's going to feel better. Listen to this. Sometimes suffering people become selfish people. Right, have you ever noticed that? That sometimes suffering people become selfish people, and some of the people that I know who are the most selfish are also people who have suffered the most because they chose to get bitter instead of actually getting better. When you go through great suffering, how you respond really does make a difference. And some people respond in very selfish ways. It's where they start saying, what about my life? What about my wants? What about my needs? What about what I've been through? What about what I'm going through? How come nobody loves me? And then they begin walking and tripping over their bottom lip and everything becomes dark and overcast and they live their life like Eeyore or Puddle Glum and they're just so sad all of the time and there is no reason for rejoicing. And then the moment someone says, hey, actually, I had a pretty good day today. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's because you don't understand what I've been through in my life. If you really knew me, then you would never be happy again. You're like, no. Hey, you know what? The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who are weeping. And if you can't rejoice with other people, well, that's because you're selfish. If other people's joy actually brings you down, it's because you haven't learned how to suffer well. Your suffering has actually made you selfish. See, listen. As we go through this life, there's going to be opportunities for everybody to find the negativity. But if you're always looking for something negative, you're always going to find something negative. And if you're always trying to bring other people down to make yourself feel better, you're selfish. 
Instead, what we need to do is allow our suffering not to make us bitter, but to allow it to make us better. This is why he says to only let your life be lived for the worthiness of the gospel. The way you live, the way you believe determines the way that you behave. Your identity determines your activity. What's going on inside of you creates the world that's around you. Your character is built out of the conflict that you experience. Do not get bitter. Instead, get better. Listen, it's hard to tell people about the good news of Jesus when you have a bad attitude. I mean, it's so, I mean, what is your witness like? Be worthy of the gospel. My life sucks and my life is terrible and horrible and I got a rash. Do you want to believe in Jesus? Because we're all going to die anyway. Nobody wants to believe in that. Here's what people, hey, I got hope. Hey, I got joy. I got the Holy Spirit. I got a pep in my step. Yeah, sure, I've been through some things, but he's been with me through everything. I'm going to heaven. Do you want to come with me? Which one would you rather have? Would you want to have a bitter, worthy witness? Or would you want to have a better, worthy witness? Don't choose bitterness. Get better. See, suffering actually develops your character. I was thinking about this because a few weeks ago, we actually had a baptism Sunday at the church, and there was one woman who actually got baptized. Her name's Joanna. She's probably watching online with her her family. Hey, Joe. She actually got baptized, and as she was in the baptismal water, she was telling her story, and she actually said that she became a Christian through her journey with cancer. That before she had cancer, she had no need for God. She said, well, I have a good life, make good money. Hey, everything's going pretty well for me. Got kids, got a great husband. I'm in pretty good shape. I have no need for God because she thought she had everything already. And then one day she found the cancer and she went in and it was a very aggressive sarcoma. It's a one in a million form of cancer. It is very dangerous. And after a year of chemotherapy and radiation and surgery and recovery, she gave her life to the Lord. And as she began coming to redemption, along with her family, she wanted to rededicate her life to the Lord, and so she, was, so she was baptized. And as she stood in those baptismal waters, she told her testimony of how cancer actually brought her back to the Lord, and God used cancer to give her back her joy. And so what I want to do is I reached out to her and asked her, I said, hey, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story and what happened to be able to encourage the rest of us in the middle of our suffering? And so she wrote this to me the other day. She says, God has given me a newfound love for life. I'm joyful when I open my eyes every single morning, and I've learned to be appreciative for everything because life is not about things anyway. I have joy telling people about Jesus. I have joy telling people my story. It took hardship and suffering for me to learn how to find joy. When people ask me if I would ever take away my cancer journey, my answer to them is always no, all caps, because through cancer, I found Jesus, and for that, I will always be thankful. See, Joanna, she did not get bitter. She got better, and if you ask anyone in her life, here's what she would tell you. She would tell you that suffering brings joy and that she is the most joyful person that anyone knows. Right now, some of you in your mind, I know you're probably thinking, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they said about me. And you know what? I don't know. But I'm not going to sit here and compare my suffering to your suffering and feed into your selfishness. Here's what I actually want to do. I want to compare your suffering to the person who suffered the most. His name is Jesus. 
Let's just talk about Jesus. Let's stop talking about you. Let's start talking about Jesus. Here's what Jesus, Jesus is God, perfect in every single way. Humbles himself, enters into human history. He is born of a poor, unwed, single, teenage, virgin girl who grows up in some rural hick town. He's raised by an adoptive father who most likely passed away when he was still a young man. He goes into his public ministry where he is surrounded by 12 guys all the time, and that is suffering. And then after that, he is betrayed by his friends. He is denied by his family. All he does in his life is love, preach, teach, heal, cast out demons, uh, feed the 5,000. You know, he water skis without a boat, does amazing, wonderful miracles. And he's blessing and loving and forgiving. And he is kind and he is compassionate and he is killed. That Jesus, he suffers more than anyone else ever suffers. That he is beaten, betrayed, murdered, mocked, spit on, and crucified. And yet three days later, he did not stay bitter. In fact, he got better. He resurrected from the grave. This is why the author of Hebrews says this. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That it is possible that suffering brings joy. That conflict brings character. Don't get bitter, get better. Which leads to the last and to the final points. There is a reward and you're rejoicing. You say, Byron, it sounds to me like you're trying to get me to cheer up. I am. He says, Byron, it sounds to me like you're getting me to have a little bit of joy. I hope it's working, because that's my goal. Say, Byron, it sounds like you're trying to convert me and lead me to Jesus. I am. If it's working, that's my goal. But if not, I got one more point for you, and actually, here's what it is, is that there is a reward in your rejoicing. Here's how Paul finishes it out. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full in cord in one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to your own interests, but also into the interests of others. Research has shown that people with a positive outlook on life actually live healthier lives. Apparently, there really is a reward when it comes to rejoicing, that the happier you are, the healthier you are. Let me just share with you some statistics, okay? 22%, these are people who are joyful, have a healthy, positive disposition in life, are 22% less likely to have heart disease, they have healthier immune systems, lower stress levels, they have better sleep, they're more physically active, they become better parents, they have less, less aches and pains, they live longer, and they have better marriages. There is a health in happiness, and there is a reward for rejoicing. How many of you would like, how many of you would like to have a little bit of love? Okay, well, there's joy for that. How many of you need a little bit of encouragement right now in your life? There is joy for that. How many of you would like to have some affection, a little bit of sympathy? How many of you, you would like to experience what Paul has? Paul says you can. And all you got to do is to rejoice. There is a reward for your rejoicing. And some of you are wondering right now, well, what is the reward in all of this? Here's what I've discovered, is that God is actually working even in the midst of all of this. In the 10 years that I have been in public ministry, I have never seen the church more unified than it is right now. That is a reward. 
In the 10 years that I have been in public ministry, I have never seen people so desperate for a move of God. That is a reward. In the 10 years that I've been in ministry, I've never seen the church pray the way that it prays, gives the way that it gives, loves the way that it serves, serves the way that it serves. I have never seen the church so grace-filled, so joyful than it is right now. There is a reward in the rejoicing. And just like a pregnant woman will be able to tell you, sometimes you got to go through great suffering before you can experience great joy. I believe that right now, even in the middle of the situation that we're in, the church is pregnant with joy. And we're going to have to go through just a little bit more suffering. But on the other end, we're going to experience a joy that we never knew. I believe that God's going to use this to bring his church to a level of joy, to a level of hope, to a level of confidence, a level of dependence on him than we've never had before. I believe that through this suffering, God is going to give birth to great joy. The church is no stranger to suffering. We have been through persecutions. We have been through pandemics. We have been through plagues. We have been through all of it and everything in between. The church is no stranger to suffering. But we need to be a people who are known for great joy. Will you allow God to use this suffering to bring great joy in your life? Will you allow God to begin to use this great pain to produce great joy for your life? We have a decision on how we respond. Let us choose to get better because of it. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.